Now turn with me tonight in your Bible. Thank you, Barbara. Now, turn with me to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 11. <coughs> Acts chapter 11, just a very short reading tonight. Acts chapter 11. <coughs> Acts chapter 11, verse 11. Acts chapter 11, verse 11. And behold, immediately there were three men already come unto the house, for I was sent from Caesarea unto me. And the Spirit bade me go with them, nothing doubting. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered into the man's house. And he showed us how he had seen an angel in his house, which stood and said unto him, Send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who shall tell thee words whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell in them, as in us at the beginning. Then remembered I the word of the Lord, how that he said, John indeed baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. For as much then as God gave them the like gift, as he did unto us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. What was I that I could withstand God? When they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Let's just have a wee word of prayer. <coughs> Heavenly Father, we want to thank thee for the sense of thy presence with us. We thank thee for these old hymns whereby we've been praising and worshipping thee tonight. And help us, O God, to never cease to praise thee. Help us to count our blessings. Help us to remember the great message of the book, You Must Be Born Again. Write your word in our heart tonight. Come and speak to us. And as we gather here, and Lord, we're fellowshipping together. Our minds are in those that are in the hospital or at home or in nursing home. Just undertake for them. We think again of Bobby and Sadie. Lord, we, we ask thee for Amy Coulter. Do, do remember too, Mrs. Lowe, in all her weakness, grant her your presence and your peace. Think of my own mother-in-law. Lord, think of this whole Bassett family, shocked to the core of the death of a loved one at the same age of loved ones long ago. And, O oh God, thy ways are past finding out. Lord, these things are hard, and you know a broken-hearted mother who, who's confined to a wheelchair, and Lord, her main care is gone, and what's she going to do? And She needs strength and help and support, and she needs wisdom, and we just commit her to thy care and keeping at this time. Remember, Lord, the funeral tomorrow. Give wisdom, Lord. Help us in the uh, preaching of thy word. And may thy word, Lord, be uh, a sense of solace and a comfort and a strength to a sorrowing family. Now, Lord, just strengthen us again with thy word. We thank you for the great truths of the gospel. We thank you for the comfort of the gospel. We thank you for the Christ of the gospel. We thank you for the challenge of the gospel. Lord, we thank you for the carrying of the gospel. And we pray, Lord, that you'll carry the message emanating from this old schoolhouse in the past and carry the same message from the new meeting house down throughout the whole of Duff. And, O oh God, that families... Far and wide in our community, as far away as Drumbo and Money Ray and up to the temple 
and oh God, even in board mills and in the various housing estates that make up our community, including the Killinger Road and its estate, including, Lord, the Balnehenge, the Saintfield Road, oh God, in Barons Court and Musket, Meadowvale and Winchester, oh God, even in Meadowvale, oh Lord, there'll be the, the blowing of the wind of God, and you'll speak and you'll draw souls under the sound of thy word, and you'll save their precious never-dying soul. To this end we plead the blood. To this end we ask for the working of thy spirit. Let the Holy Ghost fall, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, my text tonight is taken from Acts chapter 11, verse 14. Who shall tell thee words, whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved. My theme this evening is Peter's <coughs> final sermon in the house of Cornelius. Acts chapter 10 records Peter's final sermon in the house of Cornelius that was on the coast of Caesarea. You're familiar, of course, with the first time that Peter preached. It was the day of Pentecost. Remember the 10-day prayer meeting? Remember Peter's failure, the one who denied the Lord with those and cursings? Then remember his bitter repenting? Peter wept. Followed by restoration. And glory to God, amazingly, the failure became a firebrand. The denier became a declarer. And of course, if you're here tonight and you feel a failure and you've messed up and you've screwed up spiritually and you've lost out with the Lord, well, Remember, the Lord's married to the backslider. And you can be restored. Remember, the psalmist said, He restoreth my soul. And Peter was gloriously restored. And it was Peter, in Acts 2, on the very day of Pentecost, preached a powerful sermon, a sermon that's so enlightening and so educational, a sermon so full of Old Testament quotations, dealing with the law, the prophets, and the psalms. And the crowds listened. And the Holy Spirit worked. And glory to God, thousands were pricked in their heart. They were urged to repent and believe the gospel. And you know, at the end of that day, 3,000 souls were added to the church. The first sermon, of course, was to the Jews in Jerusalem. Now, Peter's final recorded sermon, I'm not saying it's the last sermon he ever preached, but it's the last recorded sermon that he preached. And it's interesting where he preached it. He didn't preach it in the synagogue. He didn't preach it in the street. He preached it in a house. And the house was owned by a man called Cornelius. And Cornelius was a centurion of the Roman army. And he was a, a Gentile. And this was a, a gathering of Gentiles rather than Jews. That This was a new Dimension for the church at Jerusalem. This was a new opening for the cause of Christ. Up to this point, the preaching of the gospel was by and large to the Jewish people. Yes, in old times, a few Gentiles were saved. Um, we could think about Ruth and we could think about Rahab, but, but not very many. But when we come to chapter 10 of the book of Acts, it all changes. 
Peter, who was given the privilege and responsibility of being the first to open the door to the, the whole of the Jews in Jerusalem to the gospel, was also given the privilege and responsibility of being the first to open the door to the Gentiles hearing the good news of the gospel. And glory to God, many were saved. Think of the testimony of these Jews who later on questioned Peter when he came back into Jerusalem that he had been with Gentiles and he had ate with them. And they, they were saying this isn't lawful. And then when Peter told them the story, then they said, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. Remember, these Gentiles had grown up, but they had never heard the gospel. They, they, they hadn't been to Sunday school or Bible class. They hadn't sat in Sunday services. And yet when Peter preached the gospel to them in this house of Cornelius, the Holy Ghost fell in them and the word of God was received with such meekness and gladness that, that many hundreds were, were gloriously saved. Of course, Peter had been well prepared of the Lord. He was in Joppa. Uh, he was at prayer and as he prayed of course the Bible tells us he entered into a trance he got a vision from heaven and the vision was of a sheet full of unclean animals and he was told rise up and eat and he protested remember Peter says Lord I've never eaten anything unclean in my life this happened three times and um, Peter of course lived under the, the strict Jewish dietary laws he was following that old law and um, we read in Acts chapter 10 and in the verse 14, I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Verse 15, and the voice spake unto him again the second time, what God hath cleansed, call not that common. And then as he got this vision for the third time, we're we wondering, what on earth does this mean? Then there was a knock at the door. So when he answered, it was men from Caesarea, and they told him, we have been sent here by Cornelius, the centurion, and he wants you to come to his house, and he wants you to tell him and teach him the ways of God. Listen to what they said in Acts chapter 10, verse 22. And they said, Cornelius, the centurion, the just man, and one that feareth God, and of good report among all the nation of the Jews, was warned from God by a holy angel to send for thee into his house. And to hear words of thee. And we read in verse 14 of Acts 11. Who shall tell thee words whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved. And it was obvious that the Lord was at work. Not only preparing Peter for the task at hand. But preparing Cornelius' heart as well. So Peter went along with these men. He came to the house of Cornelius. He preached the good news of Jesus Christ. And as I've said, many were gloriously saved. That was Peter of course been given the, the keys of the kingdom to open the door not only to the Jewish church in the day of Pentecost, but to open the door to the Gentiles. These were the first Gentiles that heard the gospel. And you think of us entering into that same spirit because we, are, of course, are Gentiles. We're not of the lineage of the house of Abraham, even though we're related to Abraham by faith. We are Gentiles who have been brought to hear the gospel. I want us to think of this tonight, Peter's final sermon in the house of Cornelius, thinking about our, our final uh, service here in, in the old schoolhouse. And I just want to remind you of something that I believe is uh, very important. I want you to think, first of all, of the people 
in the house. If you look at verse 14, it says, Who shall tell thee words whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved. And as I've already mentioned, in this household, the head of the house was a man by the name of Cornelius. And uh, isn't this is what they said to Peter when they knocked on the door? Cornelius, or Cornelius, the centurion, a just man, and one that feareth God and of good report among all the nations of the Jews. We're told in Acts chapter 10 and 1, there was a certain man in Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band, a devout man, and one that feareth God and all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God Always, so, so that gives us a little insight into this man's character and into this pedigree. So I want you to think of the people in the house. And the head of the home was Cornelius. And he's a Gentile. He's an officer in the Roman army. He's a centurion. Isn't it interesting that it's only one of three centurions mentioned in the Bible? There was one who built a synagogue at Capernaum, uh, away in the opposite side of the country. There was one at the cross at Jerusalem. Remember the centurion said truly this was the son of God. And there was one who lived in Caesarea. And we know his name. His name was Cornelius. And we're told what he was like. He was a just man. A devout man. One that feared God with all his house. He believed in God. He, he had some working knowledge of God. He, he had an understanding that God was the living and the true God. He, he had a man of good report among the Jews. He was not guilty of guile. He was one who gave much alms to the people. He was one who prayed to God. Now, this was a decent man. He, was, he didn't live a decadent lifestyle. This man was religious. He, he had regard for the religion of the Jews. This man had much to recommend him. This man was light. Now, what are we told about this man? Look with me at Acts 10, verse 22. <clears throat> It says, and was warned from God by an holy angel to send for thee into his house and to hear words of thee. Peter was told about the warning this man received. <coughs> Think about the news of the warning. Thinking about the nature of the warning. Out of all the Roman soldiers in Caesarea, God intervened in this man's life. And this man was warned from God by a holy angel to do something strange. To send for Peter. Peter's in Joppa. What do you want Peter for? To come to me. And we're given the answer. If you look at verse 14. Who shall tell thee words whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved. You see the warning had to do with the needs of a soul. This warning came from God. What's the warning all about? The needs of a soul. To give attention to that. In other words, this man needed to be saved. His wife and family needed to be saved. He needed to be in a right relationship with God. And you know what? He took it seriously. He didn't treat it lightly. Isn't it so sad today that, that hundreds and thousands in Northern Ireland outwardly profess to be religious? And many, of course, walk the clean side of the broad road. And they're just as just and just as devout, even as this man is. And they even would say, but, but I believe in God. And yet, 
They don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I, I'm aware that there's many live on the unclean side of the broad road. They live in the depths of sin. That's evident in their lifestyle. Jeremiah 17 and 9, the heart is deceitful and above all things desperately wicked. But here's an angel. And he comes to this man and he tells him, send for Peter. And he, he's got words for you. It's interesting that the angel didn't preach. See, that's not the work or the job of the angels. The angels have an interest in salvation. But they don't know it. They've never tasted it. They've never experienced it for themselves. They don't know the, the, the joy and the reality that salvation is of the Lord. They're not redeemed themselves. But someone who knows it firsthand. Someone who can say, I am redeemed. They, they would know it. And Peter, being Peter, being faithful to the message of the gospel, faithful to the blood in the book, with the heart of a preacher, he went to Cornelius's house as quickly as he could. And he told them words whereby they could be saved. That people in the house heard words whereby they could be saved. And couldn't that be said of this schoolhouse here for the past 42 years? And even before that, in the educational needs of the children, I've already told you about one lady that came to faith in Christ through the RE class. But what do you think of the 42 years here? And, and you, you think of all the preachers that have came. And, and whether they were preaching in the Lord's Day services, whether they were preaching in an 830 service, whether they were preaching in the Sunday school, or, or teaching the young people, it was all with one aim. It was all with the supreme object in view to tell them words whereby they can be saved. And we thank God for that because that's the greatest need that man has. Yes, they need education. Yes, there's, there, there's the environment to look after. Yes, other things matter. But the key matter is the need of your soul. And I often think of this, and I say this to many people, if you think of the Lord's Prayer, and we all know the Lord's Prayer, hopefully we could recite it. Um, I remember being taught a better lesson in my own school about reciting the Lord's Prayer, uh, but I, I, I'm not going to that. But you think of the words, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us what our trespasses. As we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation. But deliver us from evil. You see in those things that are being said. Three of them out of the four. In all the requests. Have to do with the needs of the soul. Only one give us this day our daily bread. In other words we're dependent on the Lord for our food. Yes and we can praise him for that and give him thanks. But, but, but more important than our food. There's the needs for the soul. Forgiveness of sins. Deliver him from temptation. Deliver from the grasp of the evil one. And that's what salvation's all about. The people in the house. Very quickly. The period in the house. I've asked myself this question. How long was Peter in Cornelius' house in Caesarea? Now the Bible doesn't really tell us. If you think of him getting from Joppa to Caesarea... And uh, preaching a while there. And to be staying, lodging over for a few days. I'm convinced he probably spent a few days, if maybe not a week or a couple of weeks, preaching and teaching the gospel. But what I'm saying is there was a period in the house 
And as I've already reiterated, there's been 42 years in this house. 42 years. 1976, when the work was founded. And then in 1996, the work was constituted. And in all those years, there have been a Sunday school there have been children's meetings, there have been Bible classes, there have been Sunday services, there have been special meetings, there have been praise services. People have been saved. Some of you are here as foundation members. And, and of course, Peter was taught a very valuable lesson in relation to Cornelius' house. Because remember, this is a Gentile house. Peter learned something that he didn't know before. And it was this, God is no respecter of persons. Peter was told, even through the, the trance that he received, call no man common, call no man unclean. And you see, the church is not about promoting our own self-righteousness, but it's promoting genuine biblical righteousness, righteousness that's, that's founded and, 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 and grounded in Christ. And I have no doubt that in Cornelius' house, when people got saved, the witness continued. And, and maybe even after Cornelius' day, the witness continued to continue in Caesarea. And in that home, there was a sounding out of the gospel. And of course, from this pulpit, from past 42 years, there's been a sounding out of the gospel. The witness has continued right up to this day. And even though we've lost many foundation members the Lord has taken them home and we miss them and their seats are empty I can almost visualize them in the past 19 years that I've been here of different ones that sat there and different ones sat in different places I don't want to go out start naming names because I, I miss out in some people but 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 I can visualize them you know whether it was Mrs. Alice Crawford or or whether it was Wesley Adams or or whether it was brother Jack Anderson you know and the Lord has taken them home and yet they've left behind a testimony. They've left behind a witness. They, they were faithful unto death. Faithful in their day and generation. So what I'm saying is there was a period in the house. A period in the house where the witness started. The witness was consolidated. And the witness was continued. And, and maybe like ourselves, in the house of Cornelius, there come a time when they decided, well, we'll move to other premises. And of course, we're not moving that far. We're just moving across the car park. I want you to think of one final thing. Not only the people in the house, not only the period in the house, but, but think about the preaching in the house. You see, Acts 10, which really started out as my um, thought when I read through it, gives an outline of the sermon that Peter preached. If you look with me at Acts chapter 10 and verse 38, we read there how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hanged in a tree. Him God raised up the third day and showed himself openly. You think tonight of the person of the gospel that Cornelius and his family heard. It says here how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. It was through his name 
the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Remember, Jesus stands for just, the just one, the, the eternal one, the sacrificial one, the unique one, the, the saving one. He's called here in verse 36, Jesus Christ. He's called in verse 36, the Lord of all. And what did Peter preach when he preached the person of Jesus? He, he preached Christ in him crucified. The one anointed with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good. The one who was hanged on a tree. There's the atoning death of Christ. The one whom God raised up from the dead. The one who was ordained to be the judge of the quick and the dead. You see, there's the person of the gospel. You see, the gospel centers in Christ. And this church has always been a, a Christ-centered church. It has preached Christ and him crucified. And of course, that's what the world needs. It needs Christ. People talk today about opening churches and closing churches. And of course, that opening and closing churches has to be tied into the preaching of the old apostolic gospel. It's not more bass guitars that the church needs or, or new musical programs or any other thing. It just needs the apostolic preaching of the word of God with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven to exalt the name of Jesus. You, you think tonight, very quickly, of the power of the gospel because he says here in verse 40, him God raised up the third day and showed him openly. But we, we, we don't worship and serve a dead Christ. Christ's alive. He is risen. He is not here. He has triumphed over sin and hell and death and the grave. And the focus ought to be on a resurrected Christ. It's right that we focus in on his atoning death, his blood sacrifice, his once and for all sacrifice for sin. But it's also right that we focus on the power of the gospel, on his resurrection. Think of the presentation of the gospel. Paul says in verse, or Peter in verse 43, to him give all the prophets witness that through his name. Do, do you see that? It's recorded by all the prophets. You touch the prophets anywhere and you touch Christ. We're dealing with a series at the moment, Christ in all the scriptures. Christ said in Psalm 40, in the volume of the book, it is written of me. If you look at the words, it says to him give. Did you see that? All the prophets witness. It's not give. It's not the past tense. Give. In other words, it's ongoing. It's still there. It's old. It's the old book. It's the old story. But it's ever new. Because it comes with freshness and joy and gladness to our hearts. Think of the plea of the gospel. It says, whosoever believeth in him shall receive the remission of sins. People talk about gain today. Usually thinking about monetary gain or gaining an advantage in the workplace over somebody else but you think of the gospel's gain what do we get you get christ and all who trust in christ alone for salvation receive the forgiveness of sin and what a blessing forgiveness of sins is to be able to say it's well with my soul put your head in the pillow and to rejoice in the goodness and the blessing of god whosoever believeth put your trust in it here to and rely on christ all for the remission of our sins. That means that we are sinners. That means that we have sins that need to be dealt with and put under the blood. And here's, here's how that can happen. Here's the requirement. Whosoever believeth in him. It's, it's not the church that saves. It's, it's Christ and Christ alone. 
And that's the play of the gospel. Have you believed in Christ to the saving of your soul? Young people, before we move into the new building, where do you stand in relation to the Lord? Man or woman here tonight, are you still without Christ? You've been here many years now, sitting under the preaching of the gospel. Have you received him? Is he your Lord and Saviour? Why would you reject him? When he offers you this unlimited gain that you can have, the knowledge of sins forgiven. The Bible says that there's forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. And I can know of no greater blessing this side of eternity. There's many blessings. But, but here's one that goes right to the heart. The knowledge that the sin question has been dealt with. Sins are under the blood and the sea of God's forgetfulness. And God makes a promise, thy sins and iniquities I'll remember no more. I want you to think quickly of the precision of the gospel. Because Paul says... That it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of the quick and the dead. See, Jesus Christ is a judge now. You can refuse him or you can receive him. But if you refuse him, he'll not only be your judge now, but he'll be your judge in the world to come. Doesn't the Bible tell us, behold, now is the accepted time, now is the day of salvation. And you know, none of us knows what a day will bring forth. You take what I said earlier about Mr. Knox Bassett going to bed phoned his mother about quarter to ten or quarter past ten on the Thursday evening. Friday morning there was no phone call from him. Family goes up to the room. He's passed into God's nearer presence. Now glory to God he was saved. He was ready to go. But what if that had been you? What if death had come for any of us, young or old? We don't know. The Bible says sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. And here's the position of the gospel. Christ has been ordained to be the judge of the quick and the dead. All who are alive, he's their judge. And all who are dead, he'll be their judge. And on that day when we stand before him, our doom will be finally known and forever sealed. If he says, depart from me, you cursed, you worker of iniquity, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And one final thing, you think of the peace of the gospel. Because whenever Peter started his sermon in the house of Cornelius, Peter says this, the word which God sent unto the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. You can have peace with God tonight. Therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Christ is our peace. And when you have Christ, you have peace. Peace with God. And not only that, but he gives you peace. Peace that passes all understanding. Remember he says, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And that was to his disciples in the upper room. They were devastated at the news he was leaving them. Change was coming. He, he, was, he, he was going to die soon and die an atoning death on the cross. And yet, before he left them, he assured them, peace I give unto you. Is he your peace tonight? Has he given you peace that passes all understanding? Peace in the midst of your trials and troubles? That you know that nothing can change or separate you from the love of God and Christ. There's the person of the gospel, the power, the presentation, the plea, the precision. And there's the peace of the gospel. And it was all tied into Peter's sermon. And here was the preaching that went on in the house. And what I'm saying tonight is this as we finish. This was the same type of preaching that's been going on here for 42 years. It hasn't just all come from me. There have been other faithful men. 
And we thank God for them. And I, I'm well aware when I come, I've entered into the labours of others. But we labour here in the Lord's name to maintain a faithful witness for Christ. I thank you for your support and your coming tonight. And I just pray the Lord will continue to remember us as we close our service and as we plan to move to the new uh, building uh, and uh, open it next Lord's Day for our first services.